Well, good morning, everyone. Just to let you all know from the very beginning, uh, last couple of days I've been dealing with some throat issues and a cough that has been getting much better, by the way. But I tell you that because this morning, to keep from coughing, I am preaching with a cough drop in. Now, if that gets overly distracting, I'm just going to swallow it and go on with life. But anyway, I just thought I should let you all know. So as a pastor, I tend to see sermon illustrations everywhere. Now, granted, some of them are much better than others. There's some that connect with a lot of people. There's some that connect only with me. Those are not usually my best illustrations. But when you're coming up with new material week after week, you just kind of share some of them. And a while back, an illustration came to mind, and I think it's going to connect with a lot of people. But for you to get this illustration, and I mean get it at like a soul level, you're going to have to know what this is. Let's bring up the first image. For those who don't know, that's called a stick shift. Now, if you are 40 years old or older, there's a really good chance you've driven a manual transmission at least a couple of times in your life. Most vehicles today have automatics. Uh, by the way, a little useless trivia for you, only 3% of vehicles sold in the U.S. today have a manual transmission. So apart from your classic car, your sports car, your off-road enthusiast, there's a whole generation of young people who have never had the joy of hearing their dad sarcastically say, just grind them till you find them as you are destroying his transmission. Those were good times. So again, to really get this illustration at a core level, I've got another image that you have to know what it is. All right. So that is a tachometer, for those who do not know. It measures the working speed of an engine, the revolutions per minute. Now, people who drive automatics, they don't pay a whole lot of attention to that particular gauge because the transmission will automatically adjust itself along the way. But if you're driving a manual transmission, you need to pay a lot of attention to that particular gauge. Now, for those who have never had the joy of a manual transmission car, I want to walk you through a couple of these steps. To get your car to go forward, you would have to push in the clutch with your left foot, shift it into first gear, ease off the clutch a little bit with your left foot while giving a little bit of gas with your right foot. Now, you cannot get that ratio wrong because if you give it too much gas, it's going to jerk you forward, too little gas, and you're going to stall out. But if you happen to have done it right, it'll get you up to about 15, maybe 20 miles an hour or so. And here's what's going to happen. You will start to hear the engine whining, and you will watch that needle get closer and closer to the red line. And when that happens, what you're supposed to do is you are supposed to go through the process again. You push in on that clutch, you go into second gear, you give it a little bit more gas coming off the clutch, and hopefully that gets you to 30, 35 miles an hour and right on down the line to get up to your desired speed. Now, some cars would have three gears, some four, some five, even a couple out there with six. All depends upon the car. Now, the engine winds. The needle gets near that red line. Every time, 
you're supposed to shift into the next gear. And when that happens, you have one of two choices to make. You can either slow down or you can find the next gear. But if you run your car too long and for prolonged periods into that red line, it's going to do permanent damage to the engine. I want you to hold that thought for just a moment. Driving a manual transmission car in many ways is like living in today's fast-paced society. Everything around us says, go faster, do more, accomplish more, work more, buy more, stay more connected, be more informed, get more involved. And there's an endless list of really good options to be involved with. And it seems like everybody you talk to gives you the same advice. There's always just a little bit more out there. Speed up, don't slow down, you can do it. Achieve your dreams. But what you'll begin to notice is the internal engine in all of us starts to whine. We start to struggle. Our patience level drops. And usually the first people to tell us are those who know us the most. We feel ourselves inching closer and closer to that red line. But the issue is sometimes slowing down doesn't even seem like an option anymore. So do you know what we do? We reorganize. We dig in a little bit deeper. We find the next gear, and we just keep going through that one as well. But it's not too long before we exhaust the next gear. And when that happens, we've got one of two choices. Slow down or find another gear. Now, here's the thing I want you to hear. We've done this so much that we fooled ourselves into thinking there's always another gear to find. Eventually, you run out of gears. Now, some people might have three, some might have four, some might have five or six gears to go into, but the issue is you can't go into what you don't have. And if you don't slow down, eventually it can ruin your life. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the gospel and stress. And we know that not all stress is bad. There's what's called eustress, which is positive, and there's distress, which is negative. We also talked about how God can use stress in a person's life to develop intimacy and create better priorities and draw us closer to him and teach us lessons and so many other incredible things. But regardless of the type of stress we walk into, if you stay in it for too long without coming out to rest, you can do damage in your life. Today is the counterbalance for the gospel and stress. We're talking today about the gospel and rest. The reason I'm up here preaching this message when everything inside of me this last week said there's no way you're gonna preach today, and believe me, the irony is not lost on me that I've been sick coming into this message. But here's the thing. I feel like if there's one message that I want to leave you all with before we step into another year, before people finalize their New Year's resolutions, before you add 55 more goals into your upcoming few months, if there's one message that I want you to hear, it's the importance of rest and how it fits into the gospel. So I invite you right now, go with me in your Bibles to Mark's gospel chapter number six. 
I'm speaking today on the gospel and rest. The gospel and rest. How do we downshift a couple of gears and still get things done? Uh, how do you establish cycles of rest when everything around you and for quite honestly, so much inside of you is saying you have to go faster and you have to do more? Here's what the Bible tells us. Mark's gospel, chapter number six. We're simply the first part of verse number 31. Jesus is speaking and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, at this time that you would allow the truths of your word to resonate deep within our hearts. God, we know you have to be the one to do that. And Lord, may we see principles in this text, principles through your word that allows us to find rest when we need it the most. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's a little bit of the background for that text. Jesus was in one of the busiest seasons of his life. In a matter of several weeks, maybe even a couple of months, he has emerged on the scene as one of the most charismatic leaders of his day. His days are packed with teaching and healing and ministry and miracles and travel and training and all the stress that goes with each of those things. He is dealing with everybody else's problems, everybody else's sickness, everybody else's mistakes, everybody else's sin. Each time he walks into a new city, he is expected to teach. He's asked to heal. He is approached for some other type of ministry or some other type of need. As busyness intensified, he tells his disciples, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. In other words, take your foot off the gas. In other words, let's calm down, let's rest, let's get away. Did you know sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is nothing? One of my favorite quotes is from Wayne Cordero. I, I try to share this quote as much as I can because it just has been meaningful to me. He said, solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. When we don't come away and rest, we eventually come apart. That brings us to our key truth, and boy, it is not a happy key truth. Generally speaking, exhaustion is not a badge of honor. It is the culmination of habitual disobedience. I say generally speaking because there's absolutely exceptions to this. For example, caring for a dying loved one. It is a calling. You need to do it. But if you are going through that for weeks and months or years on, it can bring an exhaustion. Somebody who has a newborn in the house and you're not getting any sleep, nobody in your house is getting sleep. Okay, that, that's a type of an exhaustion that comes. There's some people out there who are having to work two and three jobs to keep a roof over their head and food on the table for their family. And if that's the case, those are exceptions to what I'm describing here. But there's a lot of exhaustion that happens in our culture that has nothing to do with those things. It is because we simply refuse to stop and to rest. 
So we make a lot of excuses for not resting. And you all just need to know, this is easily one of the hardest lessons of my life to learn. I like doing things. I like going. I like checking things off my to-do list. I like figuring out new projects for five years from now. I, I love all of that. So believe me, when I look at this message, it's one that God has been not only working into me, but also one that he was working into me back in sabbatical this last summer about how do you build in cycles of rest when everything inside of you is saying, go, 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 and yet you can clearly hear the voice of God saying, pause, rest, be with me. So I say that because I want you to know I am not preaching this message from perfection and attainment. I am preaching this message from one who is studying the word and asking God, would you show me what it looks like in my life in real time right now? As Christians, it is easy to spiritualize poor choices as faithfully serving God. It's easy for me to convince myself exhaustion is normal. Redlining is just the price you pay to get things done. Rest is code for laziness. Or God will sustain me. Or here's one of my favorite lies I tell myself. After this problem, after this season, after this project is done, then I'll be able to rest. And guess what? As soon as it's done, 20 others filled its spots. Now, everywhere we look, not only through Scripture but in creation, you can see God teaching us the principles of rest. He built rest into the creation story. Six days creating, one day resting. He built rest into our physiology, making our bodies so that every single day we have to stop and we have to go to sleep. He built rest into our weekly schedule by providing Sabbath. He even worked rest into land and culture. If you've not had a chance to study the year of Jubilee, it's worth your time. It was every Sabbath, our seventh Sabbath year, which would have been every 50 years. And it was a time of economic and cultural and environmental and communal reset and rest. Jesus himself even clearly says to those who are weary and heavy laden, come to him and he will give you rest. Now, when God has been that clear and so many people are still this exhausted, there's something that's not communicating well. Our exhaustion many times is a culmination of habitual disobedience. So years ago, I had an opportunity to be with 10 other church planters at a retreat up in North Georgia. And we were being led in a discussion by a very well-known, very successful church planter out of the Seattle area. And he asked us the question, what's the most important thing you can do each day? And he was asking pastors. Our pastoral hat was on. So, of course, you've got to give the Christian responses. So we were like, pray, uh, read your Bible, uh, study the word, uh, be with your family. Like we gave, we gave the right responses. And he said, the most important thing you can do each day 
is take care of your health. And I thought that's a very uninspired thought. I mean, that doesn't, I can't find that one in scripture. That just didn't seem to fit. But then he went on to explain things that each part of his explanation now resonated. He said, you don't pray well when you don't sleep well. I was like, he's got a point there. He said, you can't really concentrate on Bible study when you've been consistently sick. I was like, I've been there. And then he got me with this last one. He said, you can't be a good Christian, a good pastor, a good dad, or a good husband if you're dead. Take care of your health. Now, I will have to say, that conversation stuck with me at a certain level. And I say at a certain level because I know that nutrition and exercise and rest are all important for physical health. But many of you know, probably sleep is one of the hardest things for me to get. It's, I sleep probably four, four and a half hours a night. And over the years, I have told myself consistently, like, as long as I eat well and exercise, somehow it's going to make up for it. It's a lie. I can eat a salad every day and exercise. It does not make up for four hours of sleep. But the reason I share that with you is because we each have our own struggles. We each tell ourselves lies in different areas, so much of it revolving around this topic of rest. So I want to lay the groundwork. How can we establish cycles of rest in our life? Here's where we go in your notes. The first is separation brings rest to our body. Separation brings rest to our body. I want you to notice the layers of separation that are mentioned right here in verse 31. Come away, that is separation from the situation. By yourselves, that's separation from other people. To a secluded place, that's separation from noise and distractions and activity. And rest a while, that's your agenda once you get there, rest. Do you know why some of us struggle to rest? Because we don't know how to separate. The reason why we struggle to rest is because we don't ever get away from the noise. We don't ever separate from other people. We don't ever follow those particular steps. We fill our off time with everything we couldn't do in our work time. So we shop, we clean, we do house projects, we go to ball games, birthday parties, family gatherings, and everything else in between. And by the way, none of those things are bad. But you'll often find that you don't rest if your schedule is filled with those. Now, for those who are brave enough and have a desire to rest and to establish cycles and patterns of rest, I'm going to tell you one of the biggest challenges you're going to have to face. Guilt. You will constantly feel guilty. You will feel guilty for not taking every invitation. Guilty for not being as engaged. And guilty for saying no to even good things. We have been conditioned by culture, and by the way, I think church culture might even be worse to think that somehow rest is optional. That's not the case. 
We will even say things sarcastically, sometimes with a sense of humor. We will say things like, I'll rest when I'm dead. But guess what? Believing that lie and living that way is taking a toll on our families, on our marriages, on our health, on our churches, on our opportunities, on our future. At what point do we stop complaining about exhaustion? And at what point do we start repenting for habitual disobedience? Just a thought. God has not been silent in this area. Did you know that he brought up the topic of Sabbath 172 times in Scripture? It's not that God has been silent. It's often that we're too busy to listen. Jesus is teaching his disciples in Mark 6.31 lessons that he was actually living out before them. If you were to go back into Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. In other words, he modeled exactly what he was teaching. He was in the habit of separating from the noise, separating from other people, separating from the distractions, separating from the needs, the problems, and spending time in prayer with the Father. He modeled rest, he taught rest, and he even offers rest. That's our next point we get into. Jesus brings rest for our soul. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Did you know there is a level of rest that only comes from being in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Only Christ can bring that soul rest. We were created by God and we were created for God, and our souls will only find rest when we are found in him. Here's a great quote from Charles Spurgeon. He talks about the connection between a compass needle moving north and the pull of people towards Christ. This is what he said. The needle that has been touched with the lodestone may be shaken and agitated, but it never rests until it turns north. The same is true of our heart's affection. When we have been magnetized by the love of Christ, we find no rest except by turning to him. We are unable to rest anywhere but in Jesus, end of quote. This search for soul rest is one that's been happening ever since sin entered the equation. People search for inner peace and inner security and inner fulfillment. And all of this is this desire to experience a rest on the inside that if you have it, you know it's there. If you don't have it, you're still searching for it. And people search through experience. They search through careers. They search through nice things in order to fill that void. But we're unable to fill it anywhere except in Jesus. Here's the next piece. Priorities build rest into our schedules. Priorities build rest into our schedules. 
When we pursue God's priorities, we may grow weary in the journey, but we don't grow weary of the journey. When you grow weary in the journey, a nap can fix it. When you get weary of the journey, sometimes nothing will fix that. A part of it is by pursuing God's priorities. If it's up to us, we pursue lesser things. We pursue different things. Did you know the grace of God, the strength of God, the sufficiency of God aligns with the will of God in your life? When we are asking God, bless, give strength, give wisdom in things he's not called us to, we're out by ourselves asking God to bless what he did not initiate. And by the way, when we're pursuing him, one of those priorities that he's clear about in scripture is rest. That brings us to our next piece. Identity gives rest to our quest for significance. I'm going to try to capture the big idea here in just a few thoughts. Uh, we all want to feel that we have worth and value and significance. We like to be recognized for what we do. We, we like to know that our contribution has been seen. It's an internal search for significance. And people go through any number of things in order to fill that search. Uh, we pursue careers and education, uh, possessions, fame, success, you name it, all in an attempt to feel significant. The problem is those feelings are always temporary. The applause and the recognition only makes us want more applause and more recognition. Uh, one of the greatest examples of this would be to watch what happens on social media. If you get 100 likes on something today, you will want 120 likes tomorrow. If you get 100 today and 50 tomorrow, there's something in your mind that's saying people didn't appreciate that as much. Maybe I'm not as significant. Maybe they didn't like that. And all of a sudden, you begin to gear things towards how do I get that same amount of applause and recognition. So much of our culture views significance through the attention that comes from others. But I'm gonna tell you, that is a trap. And that is an addiction cycle that there is no end to. We do more and we push harder to be seen more and to feel more significant. We want someone to say, you matter. We want someone to say, you're doing a good job. We want someone to say, you're making a difference. But in that scenario, our significance is tied to the attention of others and their attention is tied to our effectiveness. In other words, when we try to slow down and back away, all of a sudden we're not in the limelight, we're not seen as much, the applause and recognition goes down and we feel less significant because we're not doing as much. It is a never-ending cycle. But here's the thing. The person who understands the gospel, they know their significance was sealed in Christ. Has nothing to do with my efforts has everything to do with his holiness and his grace and his mercy for us. That brings us to our last piece. God's presence and relationship provides rest for our mind. Rest is not just found in the absence of work. Rest is found in the presence of God. 
Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, probably one of the best passages on this topic. It says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Psalm chapter 37, verse 7, it says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Where are we to rest? We rest in the Lord. Uh, Jesus told his disciples 10 times in 10 verses in John 15, abide in me. That word abide, it simply means to be at ease with or to rest in. Over and over again, the, the call is rest in him. Now, you've got the pieces there. Let's now merge the gospel into this. Here's your 30-second gospel overview that I've promised you every time I do one of these messages. The gospel is the good news of God's design. That is, how did he make us? Of sin's intrusion, what happened to us? And Christ's solution for human flourishing, what did he do on our behalf? It addresses four key themes of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The gospel tells us humanity has been created for relationship with God. Our sins separated us from that relationship, and Jesus did what was necessary to reconcile the relationship. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Now, the gospel message specifically addresses each of those key needs when it comes to rest. So we're going to take my list and we're going to go backwards here for just a moment. God's presence and our relationship with God provides rest for our mind. Do you know the only reason we can be in God's presence and enjoy a relationship is because our sin debt has been paid through what Jesus did on the cross. That's the gospel that enables that. It's only those who have been changed changed by the gospel that find their true identity, which is now in Christ. Gospel people do not have to go on an endless search for value and worth and significance. The gospel fills every need. Our worth and our value has already been seen in our created design, in Christ's sacrifice for us, and in his desire to have a relationship with us. And since our significance here is sealed in Christ, not by our efforts, we can now rest. Amen. Amen. The next one is the, the gospel aligns our priorities more and more with the priorities of God. The further we study the gospel, the more we live the gospel, the more we understand about the gospel, the more our heart becomes like his and our desires become like his and our priorities become like his. It's in the process of gospel living that all of a sudden things become crystal clear. Areas that once were so important to us are just not nearly as important anymore. Areas that we never thought twice about, all of a sudden it's alive within our heart. But it's the gospel that transforms our thinking. It's only through the gospel that Jesus brings rest for our soul. We know we need physical rest. We need mental rest. But we also need spiritual rest. And it is the redemptive story of God, a.k.a. the gospel, that tells us that we were created by God and for God. That's a created design piece. 
And it also tells us our souls will only find rest when we're found in him. That is a redemption piece, another key part of the gospel story. And here's the final one there. When a person is spiritually and mentally at rest, they're better able to understand God's created design for physical rest. As we follow Jesus, as we get to know him, he is going to walk us into patterns in cycles of rest in his presence. When he tells us in scripture the importance of Sabbath, when he tells us the importance of getting away, being in his presence, spending time alone in prayer, he will walk us into the very things we need in order to find rest for our soul. Here's the thing. Those who know, understand, and live the gospel are prepared for a life of rest now, notice I did not say those who know and understand the gospel because you can know and understand something and still be unwilling to live it. We have to live it. So here's my final thought as we close out this morning. I've given you one key truth and I've given you five leads for rest. You might look through that list and find that you're doing really well on two of the five or three of the five or one of the five. But whatever it might be, the others that you see a struggle in, that might be a good lead on your next stop when it comes to God, walk me through the right patterns for rest. Generally speaking, exhaustion is not a badge of honor. It's often the culmination of habitual disobedience. Follow the pattern of gospel rest. Separation brings rest for our body. Jesus brings rest for our soul. Priorities build rest into our schedules. Identity gives rest for our quest for significance. And God's presence and relationship provides rest for our mind. You've heard me say it before. We never outgrow the gospel. We grow into the gospel. The gospel is not just the good news that saves. It is the good news that sanctifies. So before you finalize that 2024 resolution list, I challenge you, ask God, prayerfully ask God, am I acting on biblical teachings as it comes to rest? And if he shows, leads, prompts, in areas that need to change, let that be a part of what you're asking God to do in 2024. Now, let me say this as we close out in prayer. Tonight is a night of rest. And you all know in this last year, we've introduced these nights through the years on, all through the year on Sunday night. A part of that is a desire for us to help facilitate a balanced life of looking at what scripture says and how do we live that out as faithful followers of Christ. Now, let me also say, on the night of rest, that's not the night to go out and do everything else that you would not normally get a chance to do. So take time, get a nap. It's good to get a nap. Be with family, play a game, enjoy a meal, rest, rest. I believe we would all be amazed as to what would happen if we took rest seriously in 2024. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we recognize, God, that apart from you helping us not only see the blind spots in our life, but also, Lord, giving us the courage and the willingness to face it. That, Lord, we, we're not going to rest. There's nothing within our culture that says it's needed or necessary, or for that matter, even really important. But God, that's not what your word says. So I pray right now, would you allow our hearts and minds to be more persuaded by your word than by internal feelings or outside pressure? God, we're asking you to help us get into the right cycles, the right rhythms of what it looks like to walk in faithfulness when you say walk, to serve faithfully when you say serve, and to rest deeply when you say rest. In Jesus' name, amen.